Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season six, episode 10. Season six, all about the fruit of the spirit. We are on number 10 of 12 episodes. So we've got we've got a few more people to bring at you. The next few episodes cannot wait for you to, to hear them. I think you're going to love today. We're talking to Krish Kandaya. Uh, you probably don't know him if you're a Canadian, but you would know him if you're from the UK. Um, he, um, he and I met at the global leadership summit in Chicago at Willow Creek church a couple of years back. And, um, I've invited him to speak today with us about the topic of goodness, goodness, the fruit of the spirit, because, uh, Krish, who's from the UK, he's a global spokesperson, author, a uh, political advocate, and he's all about fostering and the well-being of children. You're going to hear some things, I think, from him that we haven't heard before or need to hear again if we have heard them before. I think you're really going to appreciate his approach, what it looks like to do good, to be good, um, and to spread goodness in a world. And I think one of the big questions I came into the podcast with, sometimes it feels like we're doing good, but it turns out in hindsight we're doing not good. We're harming. Uh, and so what do we do about that? He's going to talk to us about that today, Dr. Krish Kandaya. So thanks so much to Compassion Canada and to waybase.com for making this whole season possible. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about them in a minute, but uh, just a bit more on Krish. Uh, Krish Kandaya, he's a social entrepreneur. He's got a vision to solve some of society's really, like how are we going to get rid of these kind of problems? And he's building partnerships around civil society, faith communities, government, and philanthropy. So he's actually working significantly right now as the chair of the Adoption and Special Guardianship Leadership Board. This is a, a sort of a political arm, really, of his work in the UK. And he's a global influence because he founded Home for Good. It's a charity all about finding homes for children in the care system. He's written 13 books. He's been in the Times of London. He's been in The Guardian. He's a regular broadcaster on C on uh, BBC and Radio 2, Radio 4. He's uh, been at Q Conference in Nashville. He's been at TEDx in Oxford. He lives in Oxford now. He The list goes on. He has um, just such a prestigious uh, voice. He's even been featured in places like Westminster and Royal Albert Hall. So I cannot wait for you to listen and lean in. I do hope some of you get his books after you hear from him. This is Krish Kandaya on the topic of goodness. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 6. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Krish Kandaya, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm really just really honored to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Joanna. Lovely to meet you again. Uh, so let's jump in by you explaining a little bit about what you do, particularly because if people did know you, um, from something else, they may not know what you're up to right now. (laughs) Sure. So up until December, 2020, I was the founder and director of a charity called Home for Good, which was trying to inspire people to consider fostering and adoption and particularly speaking to churches about our role of obeying what God has to say of his priorities, which is to care for widows and orphans in their distress. That's what we're told is is true religion. 
And so let's call right. the church to enact that in today's world. And then from December, I started a role with the British government, advising them on adoption and what you might call kinship care. How do we help aunties and uncles and grandparents uh, to look after children that can no longer with, live with their birth parents? Wow. I mean, maybe the most obvious question to follow that up with is why? <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, there's there's lots of ways, um, you know, if, if the theme of this conversation is around the idea of goodness, there's lots of ways for you to do good. But why is this the focus of your life's work? Um, what's the background in that for you? So it's sometimes easier to understand things in life looking back than forward. I'd love to tell you I had a really clear calling to all the different aspects of what I've ended up doing in life. But looking back, I think the golden thread of my life story has been hospitality. Mm-hmm. So that, that can start with what, what was happening in my family. My mother uh, came to the UK having grown up in an orphanage in India and love to talk to you about orphanages and institutional homes. I hope we're going to have a chance to talk about that today. But she grew up in an orphanage in India and then was discovered by an auntie and brought to the United Kingdom. Huh. And she then trained to be a nurse as a teenager. And that she was a brown woman in a very white part of the world in the 1950s. And people didn't want her to touch them. The patients would say, oh, can you bring me a white oh, nurse? wow. And she faced all sorts of abuse and racism and xenophobia. But my mother launched a one-woman resistance campaign. And that was to open her home on a Friday evening, cook up a massive vat of curry and rice. And anyone who'd felt they didn't fit in was welcome into my mother's home. And uh, that's how she met my dad. My dad was an international student from Malaysia. And uh, it was in one of those kind of big meetings where, you know, food was flowing. uh, They got to know each other. And so all through my life, all through my childhood, my mother was welcoming strangers. And, Mm. you know, I became a Christian in my teenage years. And, you know, I I was involved in, in student ministry. And actually hospitality wasn't an important part of my discipleship. It was something I was picking up from home more than I was picking up from church. You know, we heard a lot about evangelism and giving and praying. But actually, according to the scriptures, hospitality is one of the defining features of what it means to be a follower of Christ. That One of the most scary parables, and I did a, a little series with Daniel Strickland looking at Matthew 25. Jesus said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. And actually, our response to Jesus as he comes to us through the poor and the needy and the hungry and the outsider is determinant of whether we're included in the family of God or not. Matthew 25 is the scariest parable because it actually talks about um, depart from me to eternal punishment. Uh, Those of you that didn't welcome the stranger, feed the hungry uh, or give uh, something to drink to the thirsty. So, you know, you couldn't get a clearer depiction of what God's looking for as evidence of real saving faith. It's how we respond to those that are in need. And so that, that's my journey now. And, and you know, I, I, I'd love to tell you it was a deliberate plan. I can definitely see God, God's hand looking back that now I'm trying to say, OK, I, I can influence churches to do that. That's important. But actually, what can I do to help as many children as possible in, in the UK and globally to find loving, safe homes? And if, if, um, if that means I need to access the political realm, then, then I'll have a go. 
so let's talk about that too, because in um, a Canadian context where I am, our political systems are similar in because ours is copied mm. from yours. <laughs> but I'm sorry about would, that. All the flaws are the UK's. <laughs> but you know, well, yeah, pros and cons. But it would be a negative thing in our country, in our context, uh, to have such an overt Christian approach. I mean, your your content, your your uh, your journalistic writing, your uh, social media posts. There's a lot of Christian, or just simply the fact that you preach and teach in churches. So, can you help us understand how that maybe give us a how does that play out in political systems of the UK? Is that an is that an issue there? Do you have to, do you have to start hiding that sure. a little bit more? I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Canada and I go there as often as possible. I'm a, an adjunct faculty at Regent College in Vancouver. Uh, so huge fan of Canada. But I, I don't, a lot of Canadians think that Canada is more secularized or more hostile to Christians than the UK. I don't think that's the case. I, I think mm. we both have our challenges. Um, and, and to be honest, the, the, my work with the government, they're not phoning me up and saying, oh, look, we were looking for a Christian that we could employ, uh, you fit the bill. No, it, it was our charity was finding solutions to government problems. Right. And they kind of didn't care if we were Christian or not. That we, was we had the, the that whole was, range of yeah. issues. If, if we right. can demonstrate what we can help. See, I, I see there are different ways that you can engage politically. So one is, uh, I've got a great biblical president, John the Baptist. He is shouting at King Herod outside the palace, telling him off that he's he's sleeping with the wrong woman, and and that was the right thing to do. That you know, totally, John the Baptist is a model, and and many Christians think that's the only model of engagement that you just shout mm-hmm. at the government, tell them off. But Daniel was working inside the tent. He wasn't his choice. He was a trafficked person, enslaved person. But Daniel, think about what he said. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, may you live forever. I wish this prophecy was for your enemies. You go, oh, okay, Daniel, that's a really despotic leader that you're engaging with, but you're still being gracious and you're still trying to problem solve. Uh, Same with Joseph and... um, and Pharaoh, that wasn't a Christian-friendly or a Jewish-friendly environment. Mm-hmm. Um, he was delivering. And because he delivered, he was able to work graciously in-house, finding common ground. And, and, and that's, that's how many Christians are working in their workplaces. Uh, they might be civil servants. They might be business leaders. They're finding common ground in order to do the most amount of good they can. And for some of us, that's a calling into, you know, paid clerical, um, you know, ecclesiastical work. For others of us, it's a calling to go and do that in the public square. And and both of those are equally valid. It's whatever God's calling you to do, right? Right. I mean, and I hear you saying in some ways it's pragmatism for leaders. You know, if the good work is being done by Christians, great, let them in. They've got a solution to this big problem we have. Let, let them do it. But you, you talk about this Matthew 25 text, um, you know, what it looks like to to be a Christian or what it looks like to be someone that God welcomes into his kingdom. What, what do you think, it, what we in the West, I mean, this isn't true around the world, but, you know, we've, it feels like in some ways we've lost the plot. Um, what do you think about that? What do you, what do you, why do you think we've gone maybe in a in sort of a different way? I mean, the church is in decline, 
churches are becoming apartment built, you know, houses being turned into other kinds of things. Um, there's lots of reasons for that um, in terms of the buildings themselves. But but sure. Christianity in decline, we seem to have lost some of the point of this Matthew 25. What, where do you think we've we've done that? Or how do we get back? <laughs> so I, I'm old school. I, I think some of the challenge has been the way we have disengaged from biblical Christianity. Mm-hmm. So are we more influenced by the Bible's vision, God's vision through scripture for how we live our lives, or are we more influenced by the cultural norms that we're in? So for example, look, in, in Britain, we, we have this phrase, an Englishman's home is his castle. And that's how many <laughs> Brits live, right? We, we, we come home from work, we lock the door, the big bad world, we wanna seal that out of our lives. This is my space, this is for me, this is a place of oasis and safety from the horrible things around the world. Now, that's a cultural standard and, and it shapes the way that many Christians live their lives. But is it a biblical one? Um, I think as you look at scripture, and, and you know, I, I wrote a book about this a few years ago called God, God is Stranger. And uh, yes. IVP in the US uh, published it. It's basically my theology of hospitality. And if you look at the scriptures, you know, starting with, you know, God's hospitality to us in creation, you know, making space for us and then exiling us from him when, when we fail to, you know, live by God's standards. But Abraham welcoming three strangers, um, Lot welcoming strangers in, in, in the middle of the night and, you know, even offering his daughters up as some kind of substitute um, for sex abuse. I mean, all sorts of really interesting stuff that we dig into in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Please buy it and enjoy it. But all the way through to Matthew 25 and then on to Revelation, um, you know, God, God, Jesus knocking at the door, asking us, you know, humbly asking to come into to, to our house. That this, this theme of hospitality is all the way through. We are not to see our homes as castles. We are to see our homes as hospitals. We're supposed huh. to welcome the hungry, the thirsty, the needy, not just into our programs in a church building that we visit once a month and tick the justice box. We're supposed to welcome people into our lives, into our homes, into our kitchen table, around the dinner table. We're supposed to share life with people. And you can see that in Jesus. Jesus welcomed all the wrong kinds of people. That was part of the reason the Pharisees were so angry at him. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, it wasn't just Jesus ran a relief program. He was spending personal time with people. And I think some of that is because we've allowed our culture to shape our reading of scripture rather than letting our reading of scripture shape the way that we engage with culture. Yes, uh, there's so much there. Um, the, that idea of hospital versus uh, um, having our homes as hospitals for people, having them as places of welcome. I love that. I mean, I know you do that literally in your own home. You have um, foster kids um, that come and go from your home over many years. Um, but can we talk about, because you said you want to get here, let's talk about the institution. So in contrast, yeah. maybe to hospitality um, in our own homes, there's also these institutions. 
Um, yeah. for, you know, a lot yeah. of people maybe don't have a full understanding. In the old days, children went to orphanages. There's lots of Oliver Twist yeah. kinds of stories about yeah. it. Um, and in Canada, we have residential schools. And like recently in the news has come up, uh, not as orphanages, but as places we sent children who, quote unquote, were a problem. Um, so talk to me about the institutions and what, what's working, what's not, they're still used in many places around the world. They are. So there's a whole bunch of really important threads that we need to explore. And, and it sounds like a podcast series in itself. Maybe we should make that one uh, together it. at some stage, Joanna. Um, so, so there are issues around, um, class and privilege so some of the early orphanages run by Christians, even in the United Kingdom, there was, there was a big one in Bristol run by a very famous Christian who inspired me as a young person, George Muller. Maybe you know that name. He inspired mm -hmm. a guy called Hudson Taylor to start the faith missions movement. He'd never asked for money and then God would just kind of provide it. So George Muller ran an orphanage in Bristol that had 3,000 children in it. And you go, whoa, 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 what's happened? Has there been bubonic plague? Has there been a fire? Why are 3,000 children <laughs> 3, in Bristol children. not living with their mums and dads? And the answer is poverty. These mm. families were, were poor. And so um, George Muller starts an orphanage um, in order to be able to educate and clothe and, and, and feed these children. And by the way, once we've got them there, we can also share the Bible with them. We... Why didn't we support their families? They all have mums and dads and aunties and uncles and grandparents. Why don't we support their families to look after their children? Do you know why? We thought we'd do a better job. We thought we, the church, would do a better job of caring for these children and their families. And some of that was based on class. We just didn't trust poor people. Now, wow. we took that model to the rest of the world. And so Christians started orphanages, I think one intention. I don't think it was a deliberate intent to try and hurt people. But it was a, there was a whole bunch of cultural assumptions that went with us. So we went to Ghana and, and Kenya and Nigeria and, you know, South America too. We did it in Brazil. We did it in Mexico. And we thought, you know what, we Christians know how to look after these people's children better than they do. So let's set up these orphanages, remove children from their families, and it will do a good, you know, we'll clothe and feed and help, help them. So it sounds good, but you're breaking a family bond in doing so because we right. think it wasn't that there it's not for each child that their parents or their their aunties and uncles were uh, are not around it's not that they were truly orphaned and when we think no. of everyone's dead the stats yeah. are still true today there are about mm. 5.1 million children in orphanages around the world the vast majority of them have aunties and uncles and grandparents and living parents my mother was in an orphanage not because her mother died but she was the wrong race um, my my mm. mother was a mixed race marriage, a white dad, brown mum, and she was socially unacceptable to both groups. So they put her in an wow. orphanage. Wow. So most children in the world do not need to be in orphanages. They need to be reunified with their mums and dads. Think of Madonna. Do you remember Madonna adopted a boy from Malawi? That sounds lovely. But she met his dad. So huh. why does he need adopting yeah. if he's got a dad? Can't you support right. the family to get the help that they need in order that these families can be kept together. Now you're going, Chris, you, you do fostering and adoption. What are you talking about? Um, well, the, the kids that are in care in America, in Canada, in the UK, their family bonds have broken down, not because Christians got involved, right? Not because we removed them, but because of neglect, abuse, 
and, and therefore these children can no longer live with their birth families and they need new families. All the families need rehabilitation, both, both are important. But in the orphanage industry, these children don't need to be there at all. They need to be in families. And those that don't, and it's a tiny small minority that don't have any living relatives, that's when I think we need to do local fostering and adoption. So mm -hmm. what happened in Canada with the institutional schools where we thought, uh, and sadly we Christians and from all sorts of denominations, not just the Catholic Church, we did a deal with the government and said, you know what? We want to find a way to help these kids become Christians. We don't trust their indigenous background or their Aboriginal background. And so we will remove them. And Christians sadly had again bought into the cultural mindset that, that Aboriginal and indigenous people were somehow lesser and therefore couldn't be trusted to raise their kids. And so then you get this horrible phrase, you know, preserve the man, kill the Indian. Could we get rid of the indigenous culture by literally removing children from their families and then putting them hundreds of miles away. And some of those children died. That's why you found so many bodies. And they didn't even bother to tell the parents that the children had died. Yeah. So there's a lot of repenting that we need to do, not just in Canada and in Australia and in New Zealand where those same things have happened, but actually we, the church, have been continuing to, to this very day to promote orphanages as a means of helping children when actually orphanages are damaging children. And so something well-intentioned but really not thought through is actually causing more harm than good. I want to interrupt the conversation with Krish because it's such an obvious connection what we're talking about with Krish about vulnerable children and the work that Compassion Canada and Compassion all around the world does every single day. Um, you can join other Canadians, but other people all around the world who are part of a movement of practical, ongoing compassion, they're actually transforming the lives of children around the world. They do it through the local church. They're not taking kids out of their communities. They're working right in the communities where these children live so that it transforms them, their family, um, their whole village, perhaps even their whole country. As a throwback to an earlier episode of this season with Richmond Wandera, we got to hear the story of someone who was transformed by this program, grew up and is now just doing incredible work um, impacting the lives of, I think, millions of people across this country. It's amazing to see what's coming up the other side. So sponsorship works. Child sponsorship is not just for your grandma. It's actually something that is practical and tangible and it's a real child who's going to be impacted by if you choose to sponsor a child or if you choose to take on another child in sponsorship. So I encourage you to check out compassion.ca slash good. It's some practical life-giving ideas on this site. It's a fun and interactive page. Compassion.ca slash good is a place for you to check out if you feel compelled coming out of this episode to do something for vulnerable children around the world. So back to Krish Kandaya. You have said at the beginning of this interview, this idea of your own journey, the hindsight that you yes. look in, when you look back, you can see more clearly how you've ended up with this as a, a life work. Um, in the same way, we can look back at the church very easily in the last, we don't have to go more than a year, let alone, you know, the last century or two, some of these systemic things that church has done. Um, when we talk about doing good, uh, 
in the moment we think we are, <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's yeah. not until we look back and say, Oh my goodness. Like, yeah. Oh God, like literally, Oh God, right. help us. We enough. did very bad things. That's right. Joanna, what I say, it's not enough to be well-intentioned. We've got to be well-informed. Right. Those, those, you know, people often when they're thinking about doing good, they, they think with their heart, you know, think about how some of the, um, international charities, Christian and otherwise, raise money. They do it through your heart. They, they show you a beautiful video with a, you know, a really emotional soundtrack. They don't want you to think through, you know, what's the development model? What's the impact on children? What's the impact on family? What's the theology that's driving this? They, they want you to short circuit your brain and just engage your heart. Well, Actually, that's really bad stewardship. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind and strength. We've got to employ these things. No one would think of investing in a business just because of a a nice emotional video. You'd look at the financials. You'd you'd ask tough questions. So Mm -hmm. I want Christians to be more generous. You know, I don't want people to stop giving, but I want them to be um, more discerning about what we support. I've met so many people that have been supporting orphanages run by amateurs. You know, we just came back from an overseas trip. We we met these kids and we decided to start an orphanage. And going, well, what do you know about the culture? What do you know about the family systems? What do you know about child protection? What, what, What do you know about any of those things? We wouldn't let you run those kind of institutions in our nation because you're not qualified. Why are you suddenly qualified to do that somewhere else? So I would say as Christians, we need to be a bit more humble and recognise that, that there's expertise out there that we need to draw on, and recognising that, again, being well-intentioned is no substitute for being well-informed. And look, I was there. My plan, after, after my wife and I, had, you know, we've got six children, three are our birth kids, three are local, fostered and adopted children, and uh, we thought, oh, you know, when we finish doing our work, trying to fix the UK care system, we'll retire somewhere hot and we'll run an orphanage because it's just an undeniable good. Think of the movie, well, the, the stage uh, performance of Hamilton. You know, it starts with, how can an orphan, son of a whatever, um, yeah. and it ends with, I'm going to remember Hamilton's life, says his uh, widow by running an orphanage in your name. So it's an undeniable good, even in the most on-message, on-trend musical in the world, right? So no yeah. one questions it. So it's okay if, if you've been supporting an orphanage, if you've been on an orphanage tourism trip or a, a volunteer trip, you know, I, I understand. I was in the same boat, but now we know we need to change. Mm. Can you tell us um, a story, you know, if you have a minute to, or two, to tell us a story of, you know, you've encountered so many kids, um, so many families. Can you have a story of a, a family that has been reunited or, um, you know, an illustration in real life to, to, to tell us more about this? Sure. There was a little boy that came into our care. It was an emergency foster placement. Um, he had all sorts of Uh, eating disorders. He was very young. I think he was um, nine months at the time. And uh, we already had another baby. So it was like a foster baby. So it was like we had twins for a while. They were the same age, but they weren't related in any way. And uh, boy, hats off to people that raise twins. That's a whole (laughs) amazing challenge. Good, you know, congratulations. We ought to wrap around you guys. And um, and we loved on him. And he was, you know, he he physically changed. He was very... um, 
undernourished. Uh, his eyes were very, you know, sunken. And, you know, just, just by normal practice of, you know, doing family and, and regular food and sleep and baths and, you know, you could see a physical change. It was just incredible. Um, and the social workers did this amazing job. He'd been living with his uh, mother, this little boy, and she had all sorts of trauma in her life that had turned into addictions. Um, and, you know, th there were never kind of goodies and baddies in the care system. A lot of the parents who end up having their children removed have been victims themselves. Anyway, but she was deemed by the courts unable to be able to raise her, her son, and I think they were right. Um, so they did a search, like, who else is in this child's life? And they found out that his dad had been uh, in the UK as a refugee. And um, then, you know, was, was, was rejected, you know, was an asylum seeker, rejected, sent back mm. to another country. And they, they investigated, what kind of parent is he? And they realised mm. that he, he would actually be a pretty good parent. So they, they assessed him, brought him back to the UK. And then our job was to kind of mentor him. He'd never met his son. He'd never had an interaction with him. Uh, he didn't even know that... Uh, I don't even know if he knew there was a son on the, on, in there. You know, it was a brief relationship. Anyway, so our job was to mentor this man to be able to raise his son. And it was such a, a healthy relationship. He, he was a, a lovely guy. Uh, ended up getting a job and, you know, making a life for himself and for his son here in the UK. And uh, he was a Muslim uh, gentleman... Um, not, you know, nominal, I'd say, but it was an important part of his identity. And he said, oh, c could you help me? I want to throw a party to celebrate my son coming home. And I haven't got anywhere to do it. Uh, could, you, could, could, could we do it at your house? And I said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. So he invited all his friends around. We had this huge celebration. And for foster parents, it's, it's both the best of times and the worst of times, right? We love these children mm -hmm. as their own. We, 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 t we, we see, saw that transformation, you know, really challenging... Um, unhealthy child growing into this beautiful boy. Uh, you know, we helped him to learn how to say his first uh, words, make his first steps, and then we're handing him over. It was really tough. But on the other hand, what a joy to see a dad who didn't even know he had a son be reunited and be coached to become a parent and now to live on and, you know, flourish with him. So... Fostering is an incredible privilege and, you know, right now in Canada uh, there's a huge need for more foster carers in the system. Uh, same in uh, America and between America and Canada I think there's over 130,000 children who are in your care system that need adoption. Uh, you don't need to travel around the world like Madonna did in order to adopt a child from an orphanage where they have mums and dads already. But there are children in the Canadian system, in the American system, who currently need families. And so I would encourage people, if they want to make a difference, uh, I can't think of a bigger difference you can make in a child's life than to provide them with a loving, caring, forever family. Um, when you, I mean, people listening, I think a lot of people have thought about just, I think a lot of people broadly have thought maybe about fostering and adoption. It's something as at least as an, an option on the table for Christians, it's sort of in the waters, but a lot of people don't actually do it. Um, what, um, what do you think would be some um, indications of like the kind of people, I mean, other than like all people should do it. What, what do you think when you think of these, if you're this kind of person, like why aren't you already doing it? <laughs> do you have, do you have a few categories of people who you think 
just off the top, they are are going to be uh, great foster parents. Well, you'll be so amazed at the range of different foster parents I've met out there. I've met incredible mm. single people who are fantastic foster parents and adoptive parents. And a lot of those single people say, I'd rather be doing this in a couple, but do you know what? I could still be a great parent for a child that needs me. I was speaking to a lady this morning who's a, a black single woman who has adopted five children, right? The oldest is 21, the youngest is one. And uh, wow. she's done that because black children, both in the US and in the UK, are the least likely group to get adopted. And she thought, I don't mm -hmm. think anyone should be left behind without having any parental figure in their lives. So I'm going to step up. So single people can be great adopters. Uh, sometimes I meet uh, people that say, oh, you know, I'd love to foster, but I, I would just love the children too much to give them up. And as a foster parent, I, I hear that as a, sometimes I'm, I'm in a bad mood and I, I hear that as a negative. You know, what are you saying? Those people that do do fostering, they don't obviously love the children. Um, <laughs> well, you know, they're just these heartless monsters that, that don't actually uh, connect with the child. Uh, or, or sometimes I'm, I'm really naughty and I say, wait, 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 let me just question your definition of love. You're going to love this child so much that because you might possibly have some emotional pain, you're not going to get involved in this child's life at all. Let's just reboot what we mean by love. That, that is self-preservation, which is totally fine, but don't mistake that for love. Love is mm. willing to be hurt in order that another might flourish. That's what Jesus did. That's why he died on the cross, right? He died on the cross. He experienced pain so that we might live. There you go, life in all wow. its fullness. That's what Jesus came to do. So part of love is the power and the pain of sacrifice. That yes, it's going to hurt you when they leave, but it's worth it because you've given this child a really stable start in life. So don't count yourself out. You can get support. There are people around you that can help you through it. But don't say you'd love a child too much to give it up. That's not love. That's self-preservation. Pausing the conversation with Krish because we got to talk about collaboration. Waybase.com is bringing the church together for good. It's this idea of people coming together to do something. Could you imagine the impact across your local community if the churches and ministries in your area actually knew what each group was doing for vulnerable children and their families in your own region? You know, where was the need for care? Where was the need for after-school programs? Where was the need for foster parenting? If you could map out some of this stuff in your own community together, you could actually solve together some of these problems. And that's kind of the thing that is what I continue to talk about with Waybase. Uh, I want you to go right now onto waybase.com and I want you to claim your listing. If you are a ministry or a church in Canada, 99% sure your listing already exists. And if it hasn't been claimed, we want you to do it so that you can get involved. You can take action, join other people who are doing this work so that you're not siloed. You can build new partners. You can understand your community better. And then you can actually do something about the very things we're talking about in this episode of the podcast. So waybase.com is where I want you to go today, right now. It's all going to be linked in the show notes so that you can uh, get together and do some good with some other churches and some ministries in Canada. In many ways, you have answered this question, but I'll to, to be more direct about it, this idea 
of the fruit of the spirit is goodness. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of goodness. Um, What does that mean to you um, when you think of that concept? Um, And what then would be, you know, a direct, (laughs) a direct, you know, action that people should take? What does it mean to have more goodness or how do we acquire that in our life? It's, I, I, I love Galatians and I love the fruit of the Spirit. I, I, I see them as different aspects of the same entity. You know, it, all those fruit are different aspects of the character of Jesus. That's all they are, aren't they? You know, who is the perfect mm. personification of the fruit of the Spirit? It's Jesus. So we're all just kind of becoming, trying to become, in the power of the Spirit, more Jesus-like. And so as we do that... Um, the, the outworking will be patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all of those. And you, you, you almost can't disentangle them. They're like a Jenga block. You know, you try to, you say, well, you know, I'll, I'll pick some of them. I'll, I'll do the goodness bit, but I won't do the patience bit. Um, mm. that, that doesn't work. The whole thing falls down. You need all of those fruit in the spirit in order to be um, productive, fruitful, faithful as a Christian. So I, I think... My, my feeling is, as, as a Christian, I want to be available to God. That's part of recognising that Jesus is not just my saviour, but he's my Lord, and he directs me, and he opens up opportunities for us to serve him. And, you know, sometimes it's just having the eyes to see them. You know, check out what the local statistics are in your community uh, for fostering and adoption. Um, check out what the stats are in your area for how many homeless people have been in the care system and um, mm. just failed to ever find a forever family. How many of your prison population? How many of the trafficked young women or how many of the, um, uh, the sex workers are young people that have aged out of care, never receiving that ongoing family? And then ask yourself, well, is it possible that my family could do this? If, if it's not at that moment, that's okay. But what else can we be doing to provide um, these groups of people that have fallen through the cracks of the system the love and support they need? And I think opportunities will open up and you'll be having more opportunities to do good than you'll actually be able to fulfil. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this challenge to us, to our, I think you've done both. You, you did speak to our heart, but you spoke to our head. So thank you. Where do people find you? If people want to see your work, find your books, uh, where do you want to yeah, send people? Well, I'm, I'm addicted to social media because I'm an extrovert. So I'm easy to find, uh, to quote a song by The National. Um, at Krish K, K-R-I-S-H-K is Twitter. And Twitter is my my favourite social media space. I, I try to do Instagram, but I'm, I'm not very good at it. So at Krish K if you're on Twitter. Otherwise, just Google my name, Krish Kandaya. Uh, I've got a website. People can be in touch that way. Thanks so much. Pleasure. It's good to see you. Wow. Thank you so much, Krish. If you like this episode, if you know someone who's um, fostering or adopting or dreaming of that thing, who loves kids, who cares about kids, who has a kid, who was once a kid themselves, I want you to pass them this episode. It's how we spread the word about uh, Word Made Digital. It's how we also just grow this thing so that we have the capacity to keep going and the encouragement gas in our tank to keep doing it. Thank you so much to everyone who's rating, writing to us, DMing us, posting about it, all that stuff. It means so much. Uh, 
Thanks, of course, also to Compassion Canada and to waybase.com. They're making this podcast possible to bring to you. And you can uh, check out the links in the show notes to find out their site, find their sites and take action on all the things we've just talked about in this episode. Go take some action today. Next on the podcast, Aaron Nequest author, speaker. Uh, He's been a worship pastor. He now calls himself a liturgist. He's a Manhattan, New York dweller. And we're talking about, of course, the fruit of the spirit. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode.